0: What's up everyone, this is Front Office Sports Today. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter. It's Wednesday, February 8th. We have multiple stories involving NBA ownership, so we'll tackle those and then talk to an executive at the American Gaming Association as they look toward what will probably be the biggest day of sports betting in US history. The sale of the Phoenix Suns is official. NBA owners approved the sale of the team to Matt Ishbia. He's paying a cool $2.28 billion for a controlling 57% stake in the team. The Suns, of course, were put on the market when a report came out saying that previous owner, Robert Sarver, had a long history of racist and misogynist behavior and that he fostered a culture that tolerated and even encouraged that kind of behavior among his subordinates. He was initially fined $10 million and suspended for a year by the NBA. And very quickly, some very powerful voices came out saying that the punishment was too late and Sarver has to go. Those included LeBron James, Sun's star point guard Chris Paul, NBPA executive director Tamika Trimaglio, and Sun's vice chairman and co-owner Jam Najafi. Sarver announced shortly after that he would sell the team. And with Ishpia in, Sun's CEO Jason Riley has reportedly resigned. He was, according to the NBA's report, one of the worst offenders under Sarver's regime. The league approved the vote 29-0 with the Cleveland Cavaliers abstaining. Why did the Cavaliers abstain? It's because of a major rivalry in the insurance world. Matt Ishbia owns United Wholesale Mortgage. Cavs owner Dan Gilbert owns Rocket Mortgage. And those are the two biggest mortgage lenders in America, and they do not like each other. I don't see the Cavs or the Suns making it to the end of the year, but just once I want to see those two teams in the NBA Finals. It'll be the reality show you didn't know you wanted. So the Sun sale is official, but another NBA team sale is not. According to the Twin Cities Pioneer Press, Alex Rodriguez and Mark Lori have received permission to delay a $200 million payment to Glenn Taylor for their purchase of the Minnesota Timberwolves and Lynx. Arod and Lori agreed to purchase the two teams for $1.5 billion in May 2021. And I think there's tremendous op- upside. I think there's... Uh... You know, socially, I think, you know, we we have some opportunities to come back and and try to bring even people closer together uh, through the Timberwolves platform. And I think that's something that's really important to Mark and I. And I I think, you know, getting a place there and getting entrenched in that community is something that I'm really looking forward to. And they officially became part of the ownership group the following July when they purchased a 20 percent stake of the team. That part's a done deal. The plan was for them to then purchase another 20% in 2022 and 40% this year, at which point they would become controlling owners of the two teams, and they can exercise an option for the final 20% in 2024. That second payment is what's being delayed here. It was originally due at the end of last year and is now due on March 28th. According to the report, Taylor is not worried about them being unable to pay that or a subsequent payment of $400 million, but if the deal falls through, he won't necessarily put the team back on the market. We don't know why this delay is happening. It could be something completely mundane that doesn't end up mattering. But I do need to mention a New York Post report from last August that A-Rod was struggling to come up with the cash needed to complete the deal, in part due to his divorce from Jennifer Lopez. The Post reported that Rodriguez and Lori were supposed to be 50-50 partners throughout this whole endeavor. But when they bought their 20% stake, Lori actually took on 13%, while A-Rod had only 7%. Sportico reported in December that the two of them were casting a wide net to raise money for these payments, and that they were seeking to do so at a valuation higher than the $1.5 billion that they bought in for. Zooming out to the NBA as a whole here, eventually the league wants to expand. League commissioner Adam Silver actually hasn't been especially enthusiastic about this idea, but he's acknowledged that it's going to happen. There are obviously a lot of viable metro areas that the NBA could move to, but there are three that come up the most often. The first two seem the most likely, and you can probably guess which ones they are. One is the city that should never have lost an NBA team, and that's Seattle. Another is Las Vegas, which is on the map because practically every major sports entity is either in Vegas already or trying to get in, and also because LeBron James recently said this.
1: What's your thought of the atmosphere when you come out to Las Vegas and just, you know, how the the fans respond to you out here? Oh, it's wonderful. It's the best uh, fan base in the world, and uh, I would love to uh, bring a team here at some point. That would be amazing. Um, And I know Adam is... uh, in Abu Dhabi right now, I believe. But he probably sees every single interview and transcript that comes through from NBA players. So I want the team here, Adam, thank you.
0: James is a particularly interesting figure here, both because he's LeBron James, but also because he is a part owner of Fenway Sports Group. That's the group that owns the Boston Red Sox, Fenway Park, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the Premier League team Liverpool. FSG was planning to sell Liverpool, but the Daily Mail just reported that they're considering reversing course and instead selling something like a 20% stake of Fenway Sports Group to raise over $1 billion. Now, whichever path they take here, is that just because they want to cash in on how valuable sports teams are right now? Do they need it to balance their budgets? Or are they thinking they'll need something like a $1 for an NBA expansion fee? But I said there were three cities getting buzz as expansion sites, and the third one is Mexico City. That's a metro area with 22 million people, and the league is thinking a team there could be Mexico's team in the way that the Toronto Raptors are Canada's team. One potential wrinkle there, and I don't think this would prevent the NBA from going forward, is that Mexico City's elevation is 2,000 feet above Denver. The Nuggets and the Jazz already have a unique home court advantage because their players are more used to the rarefied air there, so it would be pretty interesting to see how that played at over 7,000 feet above sea level. Up next, I spoke to Casey Clark, executive vice president of the American Gaming Association, about what's expected for the biggest sports betting day in U.S. history, is so that football game on Sunday, and the state of the U.S. sports betting industry. We'll have that conversation right after this. 2000, 2008, 2022. When it comes to the economy, those are some scary years. Dot-com crash, housing crash, and the roller coaster we're going through right now. One thing is certain, it's a dangerous time to not know your numbers. But over 31,000 businesses have the confidence and clarity they need because they rely on NetSuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting so you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need all in one place. So, how do you prepare for uncertain times? The answer, NetSuite. NetSuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your business processes, and easily see where to save money. That's why 93% of customers say they improve their visibility and control when they upgraded to NetSuite. What are you waiting for? Right now, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind, flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash frontoffice right now. netsuite.com slash frontoffice. netsuite.com slash frontoffice. All right, Casey Clark, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Uh, we are recording this on Tuesday. Sunday is by all accounts expected to be the biggest sports betting day in the history of the U.S. Um, how are you guys preparing, looking forward to this? What's going on in your world right now?
1: <laughs> well, the Super Bowl is always the biggest sports betting event of the calendar, but you know, this year we're seeing exceptional growth in terms of how many people are planning to bet, what they're planning to bet. You know, our, our research that just came out this morning suggests that more than 50 million American adults are going to bet up to $16 billion on the Super Bowl this year, which is just tremendous.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's an incredible number. Just to give us a sense, like, what's kind of the, do you, do you know, like, the US sports betting handle on just like an, I don't know if there is a normal month, but like on a more normal month?
1: Well, look, you know, the, the legal handle um, in 2022 was somewhere around 100 billion. Um, mm-hmm. And so 16 billion for the Super Bowl includes, casual bets like square games or things that you might do with friends which is a little bit unique for the super bowl uh so you don't see that on the average uh weekend in terms of uh, the average sports betting action but so the super bowl is a little unique in how many people are going to bet in, in in different ways and, and it's kind of the
0: one day when people it seems like they get really weird with the things they bet on so w- what sort of uh
1: bets um are are kind of on offer right now well like, it depends on where you are right because what's legal and you know, in Virginia where I live, versus what's legal in Ohio, are, are very different. So every regulator is setting different lines. But there's a lot of interest in what's the gatorade color that's going to be poured over the coach's head. The, you know, some places are allowing bets on the length of the national anthem. So it's it's a it's a lot of different prop bets around the game, and then you get into kind of who's going to score the first touchdown, player props, um, and, and different things that are that kind of keep people engaged in the content a little bit differently.
0: You know obviously, this is a one day bonanza for the for the sports betting industry but how is that industry looking to use this day to you know have a stronger future
1: that's a great question i mean what what i think we need to remember is that Americans have been betting on sports as long as there have been sports to bet on it's just been the last five years where where more americans have gained access to the legal market and so what's exciting about this year's game and the, the general evolution of legal sports betting in america is bringing the kind of protections of the legal market For American consumers who want to have this as part of their entertainment experience so what we're excited about is helping Americans better understand what this is understand how to bet responsibly uh you know help people who are engaging in this maybe for the first time or seeing it a little bit differently um have a game plan go into this with with setting budgets setting limits understanding the games you're playing with and and really enjoying this as a form of adult entertainment
0: and yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, because um, yeah, I mean, responsible gaming is going to be become more and more of a topic as, you know, sports betting becomes more and more of a thing. And, and you know, we are going to see stories of irresponsible gaming and people who think, oh, I just need, you know, yeah, this was my budget, but I, I, I know this is going to work out. I can just double or nothing on this and then I'm good. And, you know, things can spiral. So how do you kind of you know, enforce, or not enforce, but encourage in a big way, responsible gaming uh, when you're fighting against, you know, the human hormones that are encouraging people to place one more bet?
1: Well, you know, legalization is a really important first step in that process. And it's a boring answer, but it's true. The more we can bring Americans into the protections of a regulated and, and legal environment, the more protections that exist for the bet or the better or the athlete or the competition. And so everything we can do to drag that, um, activity out of the shadows and into the into the regulated marketplace is, is a really important first step. But then helping people understand what this is. How can you engage in it responsibly? How can you set a budget that works for you? How can you set a limit that works for you? It might be different for you than it is for me. But understanding your limits and going into this in, in kind of a way that treats this as a form of entertainment and nothing more than that is really the right way to go.
0: And, you know, you mentioned when I asked about the sports handle, you said, well, the, the legal handle is, you know, it was $100 billion last year. Um, and when I think of the, like, non-legal handle, you know, obviously there's, you know, people putting 20 bucks on a game with their friends just you know, as they're watching. Uh, but there's also these these offshore sites and or I don't know exactly how they operate. I assume they're offshore. How, how big are those when you're kind of looking at the, the gaming, the sports betting landscape?
1: Well, they're, they're huge and they're pervasive, right? I mean, if, when you look at before the Supreme Court decision on PASPA, Know that we our estimates were that over 150 billion dollars is being bet illegally every year. Um, our in latest, the U.S. In the U.S. And, and and our latest numbers show that's about down to about 60 billion, which is still way too high. Um, but we're migrating people away from those predatory environments and into the legal marketplace where we've got the right kind of protections in place. So you're right that these places are operating offshore; they have no. Um, responsible gaming provisions they have no investment they're no they're not spending money on tax provisions and they're not you know they're not doing the things that are required of a regulated licensed operator and so you know we're we're encouraged about the, the the scale of migration to the legal market and we're, we think there'll be more of that coming soon
0: and yeah and I think people can kind of imagine what uh, you know the, the tax part of that how you know <laughs> if you're legal you're getting taxed and etc um, in terms of the um, there, you know, the responsible gaming regulations and maybe some of the other regulations that are a big make a big difference, you know, probably a big expense to companies like DraftKings, FanDuel. Um,
1: w- what are we looking at in terms of those? Well, you know, what, what people don't understand about the gambling business in general is that we're regulated like banks. So we have to know. to validate exactly who you are when you're betting on our platform we have to know where that money that you're spending is coming from we need to know that you're you're actually depositing money that you can that you uh, that you have in your person That's, that's a pretty stark differentiation between the illegal market which lets people bet on credit which doesn't check your background that doesn't know where the money's coming from or where it's going and so the protections that exist overall for uh, any money laundering protections that exist in the regulated marketplace, that knowing your customer protocols and, and significant uh, and, and, and really high bar to get a gaming license and to maintain one, uh, it's appropriately high and it should be hard to do it. And so I think that the more that Americans have those protections, the better off we are. And, and what are you excited about in terms of, you know, this week and I guess the future of the sports betting industry? You know, it's a, uh, it's a, a cheesy, maybe a corny industry line, but I, I am excited about the fact that more Americans who want to do this have access to the legal market. You know, more than half of all American adults are going to be able to bet on the Super Bowl in their home state this year. Uh, and that's huge. And that's been, you know, a really rapid evolution over a pretty short amount of time. So we're looking at pretty astronomical numbers of the number of people who want to bet and the amount that people say they're going to bet. But really what I'm excited about is how many of those people have access to the protections of the legal market at home.
0: And the AGA is, you know, among other things, a lobbying organization. When when I talk to people in the sports betting space, they mostly want more legalization and lower taxes. Is that the bulk of what you guys are doing, or are there
1: stuff that we might not be thinking about? When it comes to sports betting, our interests are getting it right. So, how do we create a viable legal market that isn't hamstrung by by kind of over over taxation in a way that doesn't allow us to compete effectively with the illegal market? That's you know, for a long time, operated completely unfettered across the country. And so we're looking for opportunities to advance responsible gaming provisions, to bring the protections of the legal market to more American consumers. And so any opportunity we can to help guide regulations or legislation that enables that uh, competition to happen and those protections to come to bear for Americans, the better.
0: We've already seen a couple of medium high profile sportsbooks shut down. We had FuboBet, MaximBet, um, probably others I, I you know even missed. Um, but um, do you think this is largely going to be you know we've got a few titans you know FanDuel, um, DraftKings, Fanatics is coming in. We've got uh, BetMGM. Um, is that the kind of market we're looking at or we're moving toward? Do you think?
1: Well, you know, I think in any new market, and that's important for us to remember that this is still a new market. We're not even. I would argue we're not at maturity in most of the markets across the country yet, given how how kind of limited the window is of how long we've been operating at this capacity. Uh, any new market, w- we'll see a lot of kind of growth from from entrance into the marketplace trying to take a claim. And then there, there's likely some consolidation where, where people capture more market share. Um, but look, I think competition is good. It's good for consumers. It allows for people to choose what's right for them. And uh, and find out what's right. So every, every state's going to offer different licensing opportunities for different operators. And, and, you know, the American Gaming Association and our members are going to be right there making sure that only the legal operators have the opportunities that exist there.
0: Yeah. All right, Casey Clark, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, great to talk to you. And thanks a lot. Thanks so much for listening. We have reporters roving on site at the Super Bowl right now. It's already a madhouse and we'll be hearing from them this week. So subscribe if you haven't already. And if you're enjoying the show, throw us a rating and review. We'll see you tomorrow.